Okay, formerly someone with low levels of resilience fueled by negative narratives, now a resilience coach. She helps people to live adventurously and wholeheartedly, building open, enthusiastic, calm, and confident people. Host of the Notes on Vulnerability podcast, welcome to the show, Alex Pett, and thanks for slowing down with us. Thank you very much for having me. Um, Alex, I know we're talking about the show. You you mentioned that uh, there's some reason behind why you go by the name Shore Coaching, and it ties kind of into the uh, the name Shore ties kind of into this concept of resilience with your resilience coaching practice. Can you just talk a little bit about that and where you got that? Why why you decided to roll with that name? Yeah, I mean, I think like everyone, when it came to starting my business, I went through the process of trying to work out how to what the best brand name would be that really reflected me. Um, and I love cold water swimming. Um, I love the ocean. I love surfing. Um, I swim in the UK all year round in cold water. Um, so water is always going to be a very important thing for me. Um, and obviously the shore ties into the water. The shore is the place where the ocean and the land meet. So it's kind of a, it's a, it's the edge of something. Um, it's a place of transformation and transition um, and I wanted to get the water element in there and it just felt like really the right thing to do to have it around um, the edge of things, you know, the place where you're perhaps not certain you're dipping a toe in that kind of thing. Mm, yeah, yeah, gotcha. Um, I know you say you love cold water swimming and, you know, this is something you like to do over in the UK where the, the water is not definitely not warm by any extent. Um, I, I like to splash myself in the morning with a little cold water as well, but I wouldn't say I love it. It's more of, you know, what it does for me and waking up and, um, feeling like I'm doing something difficult to start off the day. I'm, I'm working through something that's, that's not easy and it makes the, the, the rest of the day, um, challenging things the rest of the day seem just a little bit easier. Can you, can you talk about do do you really love cold cold water swimming or is it more a matter of like what this does for you um i mean in all honesty like i don't enjoy having numb hands <laughs> i don't like that element of it i don't yeah. like having to get changed you know in a, in a car park or a public place of numb hands or feet um but i think i really do genuinely enjoy the challenge of it which is quite kind of the initial run up to it when every single time your mind is like, what the hell are you doing? Like, why, what it's winter. Why are you putting on a swimsuit and getting into cold water? Um, Cause there is genuine danger. You know, people do mm. get hypothermia. I've had mild hypothermia, which is quite an experience, oh, um, wow. but it, it's a good learning experience. And then also I think um, the experience of being in the water if you have any inflammation anywhere in your body, if you are anxious, if your nervous system is activated, for me at least, cold water instantly calms you down. It's, it mm. slows you down to the point of you can actually breathe, you can find your thoughts, you can find your breath, you suddenly start noticing the details in the world around you. So there's that element too. Um, and then finally, I think, because we had the lockdowns here, like I'm sure you mm. did, 
Yeah. Um, there was a lot of social connection that happened happens in cold water swimming. You know, you meet like-minded people because people who are willing to get into lycra in, you know, December and throw themselves into cold water, we tend to be a similar kind of person. There's an adventurousness there. There's being up for it. There's sort of, you know, being willing to see what happens. Um, so I formed some really strong bonds. Mm. Um, so I would say, yes, definitely. And cold showers in the morning, even... I even enjoy that usually because if I get in the shower and I'm grumpy as hell, you stick the cold water on for a minute at the end. You only have to do it for one to two minutes at the end. And it's like somebody resets everything for you. And like you say, after that, it doesn't feel as hard because you've had the shock Mm. of the morning. So that's a long-winded answer to your question. But yeah, I think on the whole, I do enjoy it. Except the hypothermia. (laughs) Except the hypothermia. Um... Yeah, you know, that that makes a lot of sense. I think um I I've tried to explain to people why why it is that I do, you know, splash myself in cold water in the morning. And I've never been able to really articulate it aside from like, I I don't know. It just makes me feel like a better person. I don't I don't know what to tell you, you know. Um, but I think, you know, your explanation right there was was provided a lot of clarity into what, you know, the benefits of of doing this. And I know one word you used was you like the adventure of of hopping into cold water there's a danger factor you you mentioned um it's it's the edge you know the play the shore is the edge the the edge of your comfort zone and i know you also um aspire to help people to live adventurously um and wholeheartedly so i'm i'm curious this word adventure i like and i'm wondering what what does that mean and what what do you mean when you say you want to help people to live adventurously? I guess it probably comes down to two things. And one is risk and one is being who you really are and living authentically. Um, and I think risk is something, we all have a different appetite for risk. Um, but actually I don't see risk as reckless. I think it's really important to living fully um, and learning how to deal with risk and the effect it has on you physically, emotionally, Um, is really important um, because otherwise you end up being completely adverse to any risk and actually risk is kind of how we grow you know taking a risk being willing to step into a place of uncertainty being open to whatever happens and knowing that you can handle it so there's adventurousness I guess has that element of risk being willing to Mm. see what happens Um, and that's that sort of a mindset thing as well as you know, you don't need to know that you're going to succeed when you do something. I guess that's the heart of adventure. Isn't it? You really just don't know what's going to happen. And the other side of it is is authenticity and being true, you know, to who you are, because that also that takes a lot of confidence, a lot of courage to throw off like social narratives, social conditioning, what you feel is expected of you. Um, and I think when you become adventurous, you start being curious about who you really are. Um, what the world is really like, what your place in the world really is. And you can start chucking away, you know, the the unhelpful things you've been told over the years that might be keeping you stuck. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why adventure can be a real route to strength, resilience, personal mm-hmm. growth, whatever you want to call it. And because it allows you to work out who you really are. That That's interesting. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's interesting that I I think, you know, what you just said there was that when when you bit 
when you're dealing with resilience and trying to build resilience, that knowing who you really are is, is an important piece of that when you're facing risks and when you're, you know, um, putting yourself out there adventurously, you know, coming back and knowing um, this is who I am, this is who I am, as you're being tested by all these different things is, is very important. But it sounds like from what you're saying, um, also, you know, f- do, put, doing risks, you know, putting yourself in the face of risk is important um, in finding out who you are <laughs> in the first place. You know, I, I know a lot of uh, the cliche is like, I went to Europe for four months and I found myself, <laughs> you know, but doing that, you're taking risks, right? You're meeting new people, you're traveling, you're having new experiences. There's that adventure factor. Um and as as cliche and corny as it is, you know, there's a, a a level of finding yourself when you put yourself through experiences like that. Do you, is that the way you see it? It's like, it's almost like you need um, you need risk. You need to put yourself out there to find out who you are, and then as you continue on that journey of resilience, you know, knowing who you are is, is a this important piece. Yeah, so I definitely think that. I think there's there is a balance because you there's we have comfort zones for a reason because sometimes we need to be safe. Mm. Um, and I think you do need to have that side of yourself where you can create a safe base for yourself where you're able to comfort yourself or you know deal with setbacks or that kind of side of it. But but the balance is then to spend enough time in a place of discomfort that you obtain some ease with discomfort. Um, And so you can go, you know, you don't have to go straight from never having traveled to traveling Europe, for example. Mm -hmm. Um, It could be a much smaller risk because everyone's appetite for risk is different. But I just think if you stay within your comfort zone, um, sometimes you need it. Like I said, it's very important that we understand how to rest and switch off, like, Mm -hmm. and slow down. Um, But you also need to be able to come out of the construction of who you are that you've kind of put on yourself and see what exists when you're in situations that you can't control, I guess. Because I think that's where you find out where you re- who you really are. In, in situations where you can't control the, the outcome. Yeah, in those situations, it's that balance again, isn't it? There's, like, there's the situations where you 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 instinctively are responding to something that's totally out of your control that needs to be balanced by self-inquiry and self-discovery, which is sort of intentionally finding out who you are. And it's the balance of those two things, I think, that give you a clear picture and the resilience to navigate anything. Mm. It's interesting. I, you know, I, uh, growing up, I think the idea I had of resilience through mainly through sport was, you know, push through pain, <laughs> you know, you're down 30 points, push through it, you know, push through the, the phys- I, it was almost very a physical um, and mental like toughness. That's what I thought of as resilience was this like, um, you know, how tough are you? How much can you put yourself through and still come out the other side, you know, and there was almost a lot, it's, it's interesting that you, 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 um, talk, talk about these concepts of, you know, knowing oneself and living authentically. I think the the notion that I had of 
resilience was almost the opposite. It was of like, shut the self down, push through, <laughs> get to the other side. Um, do you, I guess two questions. Do you, do you see this a lot in, in clients of yours, this notion of resiliency? And second question, what, why do you think that is? Why do you think that is the prevailing notion of what resiliency is? Um, I do see it a lot. It's probably the reason I became a resilience coach um, is because I also lived in that sort of version of resilience. I used to be a city lawyer. I used to do, you know, an hour of Bikram every day. I ran the marathon. Like, you know, I had all of the same things in my head as what it to what it meant to be resilient. Um, and then I just fell apart at the age of sort of 30. And I was like, how can this be? I've done all the right stuff. And I realized that all of that sort of surface level strength is really just what you're projecting out into the world. It, it's not what you're, what's coming from inside of you. It's just what you're trying to show to other people to fit some kind of ex external expectation. Um, if you think of like trees in a forest during a storm, you know, you've got the one that's like resilient, which is tense, gripping, rigid. That's the traditional idea of resilience. You know, it's, it's someone on a mountain with muscles looking really strong because they've just run an ultramarathon or something. So that's the kind of rigid tree in the forest. And then you've got this tree that's like very firmly rooted. Um, it's flexible. It's kind of, it's got a lot more, I don't know if trees have self-compassion, but to me, the self-compassion is flexibility. Along comes a storm, like which of those trees is going to break? Like it's the rigid one, right? It's the one right. that's right. like that which doesn't know what its roots are like it's it's on it becomes unrooted very easily it's going to fall over it's going to break the flexible mm -hmm. one has this sort of depth which enables it to move with the storm to flow which actually is what resilience is it's adapting um it's giving yourself the chance to show up as who you are mm -hmm. um in the way that you are because you can't be resilient if you're trying to close a part of yourself off um, ignore a part of yourself or you're trying to cover over something that you're ashamed of because it's weak um, or it's embarrassing or it's not what someone should do um, and I think this is an all-person problem but I would imagine it especially affects men because there are such expectations not to be emotional uh, not to cry you know not to ask for help so for me resilience is much more about self-knowing self-understanding and it's unfortunately no one likes this term but it is about self-love right because you know when you're able to make space for all of you which is what self-love is um then you're not hiding anything then you don't have any inherent weaknesses when something really difficult comes along you know who you are you know what your strengths are mm -hmm. um, and you can just respond without the kind of limiting perspectives negative narratives um, that doesn't have to get in the way. You can just respond. That's why it's such a strength. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I love, I love the, uh, the tree analogy. And I, I think you're right that there's a lot of, uh, especially, especially with, with men, there's a lot of, uh, you know, that hiding that not making space for all of you. I know that's, you know, something, an experience that I, I had, um, I've had growing up is, is not, not, uh, you know, buying into this, this traditional narrative of resiliency, which is shutting off all parts of oneself and pushing through, which 
to be honest with you, served me tremendously <laughs> in some ways, you know, in terms of performance, like it, it served me, but it, it didn't feel good. It didn't feel good. And it, it, it resulted in, um, you know, it, it may have resulted in external and external perception of performance, but not an internal feeling of, you know, of contentment or of that I'm, you know, following a good path or that I'm uh, of happiness at the end of the day. And I'm curious what, so when, when men or, or women come in to your, your practice and they're in this place where they're, you know, clearly are hiding parts of themselves or cutting off parts of themselves or living with a little bit of shame, what, what kind of, uh, what kind of practices, what kind of path do you, you try to put them on to get them, um, into a place where they're owning and accepting, you know, all parts of themselves and are, are moving towards a more integrated, healthy, um, you know, form of resilience. Well, I mean, coaching isn't so much about sort of telling people it's not directional in terms of me telling them what to do. So it's about asking powerful questions and giving people space to show up as who they are. So what I do for anyone, first of all, is really sort of hold space, which is a term that's massively overused and I kind of hate, but it is the truth. It's creating an environment in which someone feels safe to say, God, you know, I felt like this my whole life and I've never been able to admit it to anyone or to cry. You know, I've had people come into my sessions and I ask them one question and they cry for 20 minutes and that's what they needed to do because that's the barrier behind which lie the feelings they've been trying to get away from. And then we can actually deal with uh, what comes up next. Um, but I guess in a more structured answer, I look at, I tend to look at the different elements. Um, it's a different experience for everybody, but you've got the conscious mind, you've got the unconscious mind, you've got the somatic system. So the way your nervous system, because we feel things initially often in our bodies before we feel them in our minds. So it's a myth that the two are not connected. Um, so often one of the fastest routes to healing or change is through your body. Um, so that's a big element of it too. And then we look at all the different types of tools that might help someone to connect to themselves, to accept themselves. Um, and that could be anything from play, learning how to play. You know, play has a huge number of scientific benefits and yet we don't rate it as adults. Um, making time for pleasure, you know, that is a huge part of the experience of being human. And yet we're taught that it's sort of an extra or it's only sex or that kind of thing. Um, it could be like getting outside your comfort zone, learning the, how to rest there are seven different types of rest it's not just about sleep hmm. you know if you're lying in front of netflix that's not really resting because you're not getting any sensory rest you're still engaging with the screen um so it could be any of those elements um and resilience coaching isn't just about helping people bounce back from hard things it's also the element of starting to take control and intentionally create the life you want to have so these are all things that play into that as well for example if you're looking at your conscious mind like do you have a fixed mindset or a growth mindset do you look at something and say you know I can do this and I can't do that and if I can't do it that's the end of the story or do you look at it and say I'm going to try and if it goes wrong I'm going to try something else mm -hmm. um, so you're kind of the way you see a situation is 
going to dictate how far you can go, whether you can have the things you want, and even whether you're thinking big enough, whether the things you want could actually be 10 times bigger than you're aiming for. So that's all tied up in it as well. It's giving people permission to show up as they are, permission to ask for more, um, and just to be, basically. Hmm. It's very simple. (laughs) You make it sound very simple. Yeah, that's... uh... That's uh, it's powerful stuff. I think, um, yeah, I love how you you talk about the body being a, a huge part of it, and how somatically, you know, um, a, a lot of that, a lot of that shame, and a lot of that, what what is being hidden is held, um, and as well, play and pleasure. You know, I think that, uh, yeah, those those can be hugely transformational. I, I've found in my own experience, and that. Um, you know, they're probably not talked about quite, you know, a lot. Um, I, I am, I kind of want to dig into this a little bit more. What you say, there's seven different types of rest. What, what, I guess you don't have to go through all the different types of rest, but like how, what, what, what are these different types? Um, I guess broadly. And, um, how does that tie into, to this idea of resilience and and um you know owning all of oneself so the seven different types of rest is not my concept i should say that oh, okay. it's, yeah. um, so i think it was she was dr sandra dalton i think that's who it is but i can send you the details yeah. so she conceptualized it into these seven different types of rest there's a ted talk which is really good that you can go and watch um it's basically this idea of have you ever woken up in the morning tired or you've come back from holiday and knackered and it's this idea that what we perceive to be rest is not rest so you've got you've got actual rest like physical rest which could be sleeping or so that would be passive rest or it could be active rest which could be um yin yoga or a gentle walk so there's phys- it's it's you're, you're still moving but it's restful movement. Um, I'll see if I can remember the others. There's sensory rest, which is just turning off your devices, switching off from people who stimulate you. It's giving your brain rest from stimulation. Um, There's spiritual rest, which is this idea of connecting to something that's bigger than we are. Mm -hmm. So that's something that few of us really ever investigate actually is, you know, you might be religious, you might, I'm not religious, I, but I'm curious, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's looking at, you know, putting yourself in perspective as a, a human in this huge world that we really don't know much about as humans. Um, and that can be very restful. It can take the pressure off um, and it gives you sort of spiritual nourishment. That's a side that we all need as well. Um, I literally cannot remember the others, which is really <laughs> frustrating. There are four others. I'm not, I'm not trying to test you. You don't have to you say I should have written this down before I <laughs> um let me think physical sensory creative is another one Mm -hmm. so the sort of nourishment you get from creativity I'm also a writer I've had a couple of books published and I I can feel when I'm creative writing it activates a different part of my brain that is more energizing than you know when you're doing other activities so there's four I don't think I can remember the others without slowing your podcast down too much (laughs) (laughs) well that Um, is the name so Slow yeah. down. 
There's definitely um, one as well, which I can't remember what it's called, but it's about the people you connect with mm, okay. and what you allow into your mind. So it's it's rest from toxic people, toxic narratives. Yeah, yeah. Because um, we do absorb everything that we see on Instagram or what people right, are right. saying to us, right? So that mm. obviously resonates. <laughs> <laughs> um no thank you for for providing clarity there i think um yeah that that's fascinating i've never i've never heard of these these different types of rest and i think it's interesting that traditionally rest is just thought of as either you know sleeping na- you know napping or sleeping or or numbing out on the couch watching um netflix you know is it is could be a, seen as another form of rest but it's interesting that there's, you know, it's almost like the the body, the human body has has different um, pieces that need rest and recovery, and you know that, that maybe the bucket gets too full and you need to kind of let it let it just simmer down a little bit before you continue on. Um, super interesting, super interesting. The uh, to change change uh, gears here a little bit. I know on your on your website you mentioned that resilience is different for different people. Yeah. Um why why do you think that is that that it means something different to to different people? Well, because I think it depends we're all different to begin with. Um we like none of us is the same, which is quite amazing really. Even you me and my sister are totally different. Um, and we all need different things. We've all had different life experiences. We all have different challenges, different desires, different goals. So it is going to be different. And I think one of the real negatives around the way resilience has been co-opted into branding and marketing is that it is represented as, as an external standard that, that is the same for everyone. And it's just not. So I think bin that off because it doesn't apply. Um, mm. And the journey with resilience is finding out what resilience looks for you, looks like for you right now, because for some, like it will change day to day. Like some days resilience could be allowing yourself to cry for an hour because you're not someone who usually makes space for your feelings. So the really resilient act after, you know, a loss or something like that is to give yourself room to express it. That might be resilience one day. Another day, it might be getting into cold water when you'd rather be in bed or, you know, finishing a marathon. It could be the traditional idea of it. Um, Or that's what I mean, that it it is never going to be the same. And we all need different things to fuel resilience. Mm. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, that that rings totally true that it, it's never, it's never, it's different between people, but it's also different within one person from time to time is in, you know, today, this, this is what it could mean. It could mean me, you know, doing a hard workout, mm-hmm. but tomorrow it could mean me in the fetal position on the couch, you know, bawling my eyes out. And that's, that would be a definition of resilience for me in that moment, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, it's it's very interesting. I think um you know, we we talk about we talk about um how a lot of what you you work through with with coaching clients is is coming from this traditional notion of resilience with where you know, you're shutting everything off and you're pushing through. 
And I also know your podcast is called Notes on Vulnerability. And I know we were gonna we were gonna chat a little bit about, about vulnerability and how that that piece links into the the overall picture. Um, you know, one thing that I found power, and I know a lot of of guys have found that I know have found uh, um, immense um, power in is men's groups and being able to get around a group of men and and express you know what's vulnerably going on with them at that moment. Can you can you talk about how vulnerability plays a role in, in this concept of being resilient? So I would probably define vulnerability, and this is like Brene Brown style vulnerability. Right. She, I think this is her definition. Um, it's showing up and letting yourself be seen for who you really are without having any control over what's going to happen you know, how, how other people in the room are going to respond to that. Um, so I think the way it plays into resilience is that, I think I said this earlier, you can't be resilient if you're trying to hide a part of yourself. And vulnerability is something that, you know, if you Google vulnerability, um, you will get loads of hits on websites you know, how to stop your website being vulnerable. It's, that's usually what comes up first because we have this, this general idea that vulnerability is a bad thing, mm, that it means right. that you can be attacked. Um, and I think that's problematic. But the reality of vulnerability, if you think about it, is that um, any situation that is going, that involves growth, connection, um, it requires vulnerability, like you mentioned, the men's groups. Would you get as much from it if you showed up and didn't say anything, didn't reach out to anyone, or didn't show up at all? No. no. So anything we need in life that is, you know, that is along those lines that, that you're going for something that you're not sure you can do, or you're telling someone you love them when you don't know if they're going to say it back, or mm-hmm. anything like that, it, it's, a, it's a really uncomfortable place. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the moment when we feel that, that we want to shy away from. But stepping into it is what it's like a portal that opens the door to pretty much everything you want in life, because all of us want to be sort of loved, accepted and to be able to be ourselves. And all of those things require vulnerability Um, and resilience can help you to be more vulnerable and being more vulnerable can help you to be more resilient. So it's a nice little kind of self-perpetuating circle. Mm. Does that answer your question? Totally. Yeah, totally. I think. Yeah, it, it it sounds to me like it plays back into what you were talking about earlier, which, you know, it, it, in that it's not much unlike hopping into cold water, right? Like there's no, you're, you're jumping in, there's no um, promise of what, what the result will be when you're hopping into that water. You know, you could get hypothermia. You said, you mentioned yourself, it's happened to you. Um, but, but going in with this, kind of just you know faith and knowing of oneself and knowing that no i'll be i'll be okay jumping into this cold ice cold water or Mm -hmm. you know being in a men's group and sharing like this is what's really going on with me i'm not going to just sit here and be silent i'm not going to try to um distort what i'm saying to make it sound a certain way like i'm going to tell you exactly what's what's going on and without knowing what that result is would you say that's fair that there's this this element of risk involved in both in both being vulnerable and you know hopping into a pool of cold water yeah it's discomfort isn't it it's Mm. uncomfortable and 
I think our, our brains are wired to protect us. So when we come across something uncomfortable, there's a temptation to draw back, especially if you've experienced something like that in the past and the result wasn't good. Mm, yeah. um, like maybe you got hypothermia. <laughs> uh, so when you come back to a similar situation, you really have to sit there with yourself and be like, this is really uncomfortable. I am really uncomfortable. It's okay to be uncomfortable. I'm just going to be uncomfortable. And then, you know, like everything, because all emotions pass, all experiences are temporary, right? Everything changes. Mm -hmm. So it's in either of those situations you've described is when you come up against that part of you that wants to, it's just trying to protect you, um, which might be saying, don't go in the water or don't speak up and tell these people who you really are. Um, Not to withdraw from that, but to actually be like, I can do, I can sit with this discomfort, or even if I don't feel like I can, I'm going to try. Mm. Um, And then eventually to learn that you've got your own back, you can deal with whatever comes next. And and then you can start looking at situations like there are ways to help navigate it. So if we use the cold water example, you can learn from getting hypothermia. You know, you can be like, well, I'm not going to do that next time or try that or, and then life becomes a sort of experience of, testing trying experiencing being a beginner rather than i'll try this once and if it doesn't go right i'm never going to do it again right right yeah 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 that's yeah it's interesting i am i i'm wondering what like how do we know what where the line is of i've gone too far whether it's you know i'm i'm doing cold water exposure and you know i'm in there for too long and it's and clearly it's not my body's not reacting well to it i get hypothermia whatever it might be or it's you know in in the practice of being vulnerable say i'm trying to be more vulnerable in my life and i'm sharing things with people but then all of a sudden i'm sharing things with people who maybe aren't safe to share with and they're you know they're shutting down what i'm saying and they're hurting me how you know i think you're you're kind of mentioning there that it's this process of trial and error and testing and pushing and finding out where that line is. Is that kind of what in your mind you see is the the process for finding where, where the edge of that comfort zone is? Yeah. I mean, if you expect to try something and get it right first time, you know, not, not even the people we respect most in the world do that. Nobody does. Hmm. Um, I think also it's worth remembering if you ever do anything vulnerable you will always have a vulnerability hangover afterwards. So you probably, if you were to share for the first time in a group, it's probably inevitable that afterwards you'd get a little high from it and then you'd come away thinking, I said the wrong thing, I said too much, I look like a knob, I'm going to be, you know. So that's inevitable. Um, But I think also there's something here about instinct and listening to the signals coming from your body um, and coming from your mind. Um, The mind is more difficult because it can you can go to ego and stuff like that but developing your instinctive connection is really important and that like when I say instinct I don't mean like um things that you grab out of the air and it's really woo like it's just the the collection of data that you have acquired on yourself over the years so it's your self-knowledge it's your self-understanding um and you know if you get into cold water you don't go straight from being fine to having hypothermia there are signs and if you're listening for them and feeling for them, right. you can start to notice them um and you know like i said you can prepare you can have you can take a watch you can follow advice you know there's all sorts of things you can do I and mean, there's quite different scenarios so but i would say 
don't expect to get it right in either case first time mm-hmm. take what precautions you can that's obvious for cold water swimming but if you're talking about showing up in a men's group you know maybe you need to know that you can go somewhere quiet and be still and safe afterwards um, right. or maybe you need to develop a way of sharing that feels comfortable for you so there's preparation in that too and then strengthen your instinct learn how to listen to your gut learn how to hear mm. um you know what because you you know better than anyone what's right for you right right yeah, that, I love that you just tied it back into this idea of, you know, knowing yourself and learning about yourself and having the the instincts to know when I'm I'm going too far, this doesn't feel right anymore, you know. And I think that ultimately is how in, for example, athletics, certain people are able to get push themselves to these amazing lengths is that, you know, and as people watching on TV or whatever, we're like, how can they do that? They must be born different. But a lot of the time, like, and obviously a lot of times they are born different, like genetically, they (laughs) maybe are favored in some ways to, to myself, for example, but they, you know, they just continue, they know themselves really well and they continually push that comfort zone, push it, but not too far. And, you know, 10 after 10 years, oh boy, look, I'm, I'm the best basketball player in the league, you know? But they do make mistakes as well. Mm, yeah. They will have moments when they've gone too far and had to learn from it as well. They're just like us. Right. Yeah. We're all human beings. Got so. longer legs or whatever. <laughs> yeah. A bigger wingspan. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. This is a bit of a shift in gears as we uh as we wind up here. But th- this was a, a post I saw on your Instagram that that I thought was interesting. And you, you had a post that said um, there's a difference between acceptance and res- resignation. And um, yeah, I, I had never heard of this, this uh, distinction before. So I'm I'm hoping you can provide some clarity into what, what in your mind, the difference is between acceptance and resignation and how we find that, that fine line. So I think the reason I posted that is because you can't control what happens to you in life. And So when something happens, the first step is to accept that it's happened. That's what I mean by acceptance is accepting the reality. So I've broken my leg. My dad has died, whatever. You you can't change those things. You have absolutely no control over that. So the best thing to do is accept it. And even as I'm saying that, I can hear there'll be people out there who'll be like, I'm not going to accept that. That means giving up. And it's that's not that is what I would define as resignation is when you say this has happened to me and there's nothing I can do about it. So I'm just going to stop trying. Um, I'm not going to use any of my resources. I'm just going to sort of slump. That's what I'd describe as resignation. Whereas acceptance is that point of sort of letting it land and just being like, okay, this is where we are. Mm. Maybe you need a bit of time to process what's happened to you, but it's actually a starting point for uh, recovery or moving forward or a different mindset or it's it's a starting point for something else whereas resignation is an end point because mm. you don't see anything coming next you can't see past what's happened um, and I think we cause ourselves a lot of pain when we don't accept something that has happened so like a really good example is a breakup that you didn't want um, mm. someone breaks up with you and you just don't want to accept it. So you keep fighting it, takes up all your energy, you keep re-upsetting yourself again and again. 
which is obviously you need to make space for the hard feelings that come after being dumped or mm. someone betraying you, whatever. And that's not what I mean. Um, but if you don't accept it, if you keep fighting against the reality of what's happened, not accepting it, you never give yourself the opportunity to let it go, to move on, to move past it. So that's what I mean by that is the, the difference between the two. One is a starting point and one is really an end. Mm. I love that. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, it sounds like accepting is accepting what, what is, you know, in that moment and still dealing with what comes out of it, which is what you say when you say it's a starting point, it's not like, Oh, I accept this is what it is. I'm going to put that behind me now. And I'm just going to, you know, stroll forward. It's like, I'm accepting, I'm accepting that, you know, this, this event has happened to me or this, this thing has happened to me and it's impacting me in this way, or I, maybe I don't know how it's going to impact me, but I'm going to continue to, um, rather than to look away from what's happening, I'm going to accept it and, 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 um, and deal with what, what comes moving forward from this versus, you know, like you say, this end point of giving up and, and throwing the white flag up and withdrawing totally, um and then you know and and i i'd be interested in to hear your thoughts on this but i feel like when i have done that when i have you know something hard has happened to me and i've been, just thrown up the white flag and been like oh you know i'm just gonna take myself out of the situation like this doesn't affect me it it does still affect me <laughs> you know for years to come it, it'll just pop up in random ways and it'll um rear its ugly head so to speak do you do you think that's that rings true that actually by by looking at it as, as a starting point we can um have a better chance of having a a good relationship to this event or whatever it is over the long term yeah i mean i think ev- i mean to be clear everybody waves the white flag sometimes right. you know and like things are hard life is hard yeah. being brave with other people is hard but if you, because I guess what you're describing is almost like compartmentalizing, just putting it in a box. You mm-hmm. don't want to think about it. Exactly. And the yeah. thing is that, that that is the that is kind of what people traditionally think of as resilience: is moving moving past something without dealing with it, just doing it quickly. Mm-hmm. And the trouble with that, as we now know, as and as you said, is it just pops up again and again and again and again, and you may not even realize that that's what's popping up. So. If you get heavily and hardly rejected when you're young, so maybe a parent leaves you or your first relationship is a heartbreak, um, you don't deal with it, you just shove it out the way, then smaller rejections later in life could trigger a much bigger reaction in you than is really necessary. This is a very simplistic description, but you might be projecting that original hurt onto this situation. So all of the stuff that I talk about is not meant to turn us into sort of you know I don't know weak or whatever pejorative terms you want to describe it's designed to help it's designed to empower you it's designed to make you stronger and there's just one thing I want to mention as well because I think the part part of acceptance is accepting the emotions that come up and I think there are a lot that we label as bad but actually it can be quite useful. So all your emotions are a signal from somewhere in you that there's something you've got to pay attention to. So if you feel really angry, um, it might be that there's, it's pointing you to an area of your life where you feel disempowered, where you're reliant on external validation. Um, if you feel really resentful, 
um, then that might be because you're burned out, for example, you're absolutely exhausted, you had no me time, everyone else is taking your energy. So the negative emotions, um, part of learning to accept them, I think, is to start seeing them as a useful part of your circuitry, I guess. Mm. I love that. Yeah, I know, um, you know, in in my history of, uh, of, withdrawing and and compartmentalizing emotions you know that certainly a big piece of that was was labeling certain emotions as better than others and and not allowing some to you know mm. have their full i suppose effect on me and 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 um yeah what you, what you just talked about i i found to be very powerful in in um you know just accept not labeling them just accepting them all as much as possible like no one's no one's perfect i tell you what's uh, also really useful for that is is if you feel an emotion rather than saying i am angry you can say i feel angry yeah then removes the idea that it's then it just becomes a sort of thing you're experiencing rather than who you actually are yeah yeah oh i love that i think uh, i also had a guy on the podcast once who he said (laughs) He said he liked to describe his emotions like a fine wine. <laughs> like he would, he would say, uh, you know, an emotion would come up and he'd be like, this is a, a tinge of um, anger with a little, which I feel, you know, as a tingling in my left pinky toe. And also uh, that he would just describe it in as much detail as he can to really, you know, and I think doing that for him at least would, and I'm not, I don't know if this worked for everyone, but for him at least would take out the, you know, any sort of immediate label that his instinctively otherwise would be put on it by, you know, building this big, <laughs> you know, it has a peaty aftertaste. <laughs> I like that too, because it's lighthearted, right? It takes yeah, yeah. In the heaviness. It's a really good idea. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, Alex, thanks so much for, for doing this. I know we're running out of time here, but before um, we disband, I wanted to give an opportunity for you to let the listeners know where they can follow you, connect with you, etc. Um, so you can find me on Instagram at Alex Shaw Coaching, S-H-O-R-E. Um, and also um, I've got a website, www.shaw-coaching.com. Um, yeah, come and say hi. Come and argue with me about resilience. I love talking about it. <laughs> Awesome. All right, Alex, thanks so much for uh, slowing down with us. Thanks for being on the show. Really enjoyed this conversation and uh, let's keep in touch. Thank you. It's been really good.